Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Jonathan isn't with us because he's trying to get into Disney World. <laughs> we don't we're gonna we're gonna have a uh, uh, a segment on that in, in an upcoming episode because I have a feeling there's gonna be a lot of story to talk about the, his his journey from Alabama to uh, the uh, past the picket line of uh, DeSantis. Or what would you call it his urban survival technique? Yeah, his yeah. urban survival yeah. experience, his herbal warfare. Who knows? I don't know. I just hope he's doing well. He's uh he just had a birthday. I won't say how old he is. And of course, you know, but of course you go to Disney for the kids, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, real quick, folks, I just want to mention the professor is currently in the hospital about to give well, how does Jeff put it? Another member of the crew to the battle bridge. Right. And by the so, time this this drops, uh, we'll know how that worked we will, out. We'll definitely know. But I mean, as a, right right now, Jonathan's at Disney World and the professor is in the hospital near me here. And her and Jeff are yes. going through things. Defending yeah. her dissertation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> her second one for the double doctorate. Well, you know, uh, du- double, <laughs> double docs are, are a thing. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I restrain myself at calling it a baby doc. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> hey, All right. Folks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, this is this is Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast, where we take you out, you know, we throw you into the wilderness, we don't give you anything, and we say, isn't this fun? And you're like, well, not really. And so we have to figure out ways to make wilderness travel fun. Now, we are going to be uh, talking about it. We may, if the time permits, talk about a couple other mini topics, uh, but this is our lead, so we thought we'd go into it first, okay? So, and uh, the reason this topic exists is because there are a number of games, um, and, and of course video games in general, where you have to travel uh, from one location to another, uh, between cities, between nations, between worlds, between universes. And some GMs turn that into like the most boring thing that could ever happen. And uh, we don't like that because we want every part of your uh, role-playing experience to be awesome. And so we're going to talk about ways of making that better, Okay. So uh, the very first thing I wanted to do was to say, first of all, I'm going to define it, uh, which is wilderness is any seemingly unstructured area between two points, which could be space, okay, uh, and uh, or uh, you know the the fringe paths, or it could be an ocean because it doesn't have to be like land, you know, uh, but it's usually uh, but the. A wilderness is usually full of things like tribes, er, hermits, cults, herds, and roaming constructs. <laughs> and we can talk about what those things are, uh, because you know, they may not be exactly what you want. And it also depends an awful lot on... Uh, you know, on, on what kind of wilderness you're talking about. Because a tribe could be a pirate clan, right? Yeah. Okay. Any number of indigenous people from Australia to uh, Africa to the uh, North and South American continents, you know, uh, the Inuits, uh, and frankly, uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, uh, the Northern European Viking cultures. I mean, you know, and I happen to know that uh, uh, that Russia started off basically. From because uh, I've been to the the city that Russia started from, which is called Veliki Novosgrove, 
and it was a crossroads. It was a trade location. Basically, people would bring their wagons together, sell stuff, all right, and then go back off in other directions to other small groupings and things like that. That was the city. That was the first, and that's oh, all they. Okay. And for the long, for a long, long time, that's all there was. For most of what we would consider European history, Russia, that was it. That's all they were, you know. But uh, later on, you know, they, you know, they became a lot more than, than that, and we see the, how they are today. So, anyways, uh, the point is, is it so wilderness, you know, varies by whatever it is that you want, you know, you that you're placing as wilderness. You know, uh, we, uh, we've talked about this before, that in the Fringeworthy game, the fringe paths are a, wil they're a desert, is the way I described it. Because there's no water there, uh, not really. I mean, you know, theoretically, you could condense water out of the air. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's there's no food growing there unless of course unless of course you wish to harvest the rainfall of frogs and other types of weird things that might actually happen there. Uh, but mostly, you know, it's just basically these miles and miles, you know, thousands, millions of miles possibly of metal roadways and platforms. I can I can just see it now. Where are you eating? Is that a frog leg? Yeah, what? Where'd you get that frog from? Remember that rain we had back while back? Do you know where those frogs have been? You know, I can I can hear that conversation. Nobody knows. I, yeah, right. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. You know how the sanitary? What I cooked it. Don't judge me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then of course the next thing that happens is you run into a memory storm and you and you, and you're you're blessed with this uh, idyllic you know um, kumbaya of all these frogs living together in harmony. And and then you, and that and you feel that gurgle in your stomach coming from yeah, these were their legs because that's how yeah right this was that this was that one's brother with the nice green spots now I feel bad yeah guilt yeah yeah all right anyway so the point is is that yeah and and then on the French pass you know we don't you know we uh, uh, we've got uh, we got gypsies we've got. Um, uh, uh, the fringe pirates. Well, the uh, fringe pirates. We've got the Brupians, uh, which are a triad of beings that for, find a spot and turn into another creature. We've got the old men that are actually Neanderthals. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, they're they're you know, and that doesn't even include the explorers. You know, so there's quite a. Few, I mean, for a desert, there's actually quite a few people that. You know, can you could run into from time to time, so uh, you know that's uh, and that's fine, okay. But it doesn't change the fact that we, that you're bringing, except for air, okay. You're basically bringing everything you need to survive onto the fringe pass, and that's kind of like what a uh, a wilderness is. Most yeah. wilderness travel doesn't involve you, even though they do it in D and D. Uh, doesn't involve you going and doing a lot of hunting while, as you go. All right. Usually you're packing your food, okay, and, and maybe you're stopping and refilling a canteen at a stream somewhere, but otherwise, you know, but you're, you know, you're, you're sleeping in, your, your, uh, uh, in a blanket or, or something that you carry in your backpack, you know, or you have a wagon and you want to you get from here to there because... The, the longer you're out there, the more likely that something bad will happen, like bad yep. weather, like some of those natives, you know, like pirates, bandits, whatever you want, highwaymen. Local, local flora and fauna could be after you. Right. There's all kinds of things that can happen. So mostly people try to get from here to there as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, and if they're forced to, uh, you know, to, to deal with the local, then, you know, that, that it's usually a... It's us they usually consider it a bad thing, not a good thing. Okay, you know. So now, if you've got somebody with, um, oh, uh, Legolas level, you know, uh, hunt, uh, or uh, Aragon level hunting skills and archery skills, then it's like, oh yeah, I just took down that that deer like a hundred yards off to our left. I'll be back in a second with it. <laughs> we'll have we're, we're going to have you know uh, veal tonight, or I'm sorry, venison tonight. Venison, yeah. Right, you know that, but. You know, in in the actual book, you know, they mostly lived off of that lambda. Uh, was it lambda? Lim Lem Lembus bread. Lembus bread. Yeah. 
you know, the, very, a very a condensed nutritional food supplement, you know, that supposedly a one bite would sustain a person for a day. Which, of course, you know, if you in D and D, they replace that with uh, good berries uh, from originally yeah. the druidical spell, where one good berry was enough to to provide your food and and well, not but your water, but definitely your food requirements for an entire day. So that was sweet. So, it, anyways, the point is, is that most of the time people are not. You know, when they go from hither one place to another, that's they're not trying to stop anywhere on the on the way unless they have to. You know, like at a an inn, you know, or a, a traveler's inn or a shelter of some kind, because they can't get to their destination in one day. Okay, and and it's a, a time of great stress for them because you, the GM, are thinking of, just sitting there thinking about throwing encounters at them, right? Okay, so oh yeah, all right, so. Uh, so what I suggest, uh, I, I'm suggesting is, is that uh, unless you have a good reason, okay, to do something out there in the wilderness, eliminate it, okay? Eliminate the whole wilderness travel. I'm not saying you don't do it. I'm saying, but eliminate it from the story. Eliminate it from the role play. Eliminate it, you know, from, uh, reduce it down to a minimum number of dice rolls. Okay, so... Um, or, or even just, it could be, okay, over the course of the four hours going to the next town, minimal problems. It's a little windy, but y'all make it okay, just fine. Yeah, a, a couple sentences you could turn it into. Yeah, you could do yeah. that. You could basically, you yeah. know, hand wave it away. Okay, or you could say, hey, yeah, you traveled, uh, you know, uh, 10 days to the to the next town, and uh, and these and these things happened. Now you know, give me a couple of of, of uh, fighting checks. Give me a couple of uh, survival checks, and we'll see how you ended up when you got to the other mm -hmm. town. Okay, and and just do it that way. And and there's lots of video games that do things like that. That they say, hey, you know, you're at the station. Someone just hacked your computer, stole fifty thousand credits. Okay, it happened. You don't get to say, no, they didn't do it, or why wasn't I given a, a chance to counter-hack them or whatever. It's just part of the background that says, hey, you know, sometimes life is unexpected. Okay, and you and by doing that, though, you can basically get what a lot of people consider to be a boring part of the game out without totally not acknowledging it. I'm I am just reminded of my days with the MMORPGs like EverQuest and World of Warcraft, where my characters there just running across the wilderness, see stuff off in the distance. Okay, and I'm running, and we're now in Freeport. Yeah, just not a lot happening. You're just going from one place to another. Yeah, <laughs> just hit the key and just keep moving. Don't turn. Yeah. Right, and if you're in a game like a video game where they've compressed the landscape. You know, yeah. you could just do that, and somebody starts attacking you. You just keep running, you know, and take a sip of uh, 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 of your healing potion to return any hit, hit points you might have lost. You, you know, you can you can do that. That's you know that's great. You know, and and that's in a game where you are actually more more interested in what you're going to do at the destination. Now, if you're in a game that has a lot of exploration built into it, let's say like Skyrim. Where you know you're constantly running into ruins and other things like that, and they make it the game people make it attractive because you go into the ruins, you start doing stuff, your skills go up. You know, it's like yeah. oh, before I have my next big set encounter, you know, uh, over at the next town, I you know might be nice to have a little bit of a buff going on here. This is called grinding, <laughs> and it's built into that game. Okay, but it doesn't mean that your game that you're playing, that your GM is, is running for you, has to have it. Okay, so, uh, but, you know, the, the one option is not to do it. Okay, and then what you can do is, is that you can say, all right, we're going to go and you're going to do the journey, but you're not actually going to go into the town. You're going to have one encounter right outside the town you're going to. Okay, and this is an opportunity for the GM to basically 
you know, lay out what's coming. You know, give give you a chance to scout the town, give you a chance to do some augury, give you a chance to use your drones and your uh, binoculars, and also maybe meet people who could be fleeing the town, who could have been travelers also on the town, who could be uh, being attacked by highwaymen because, you know, really highwaymen, they don't, um, they don't, attack people in the middle of the wilderness. Highwaymen live in the town and they attack people right outside of town as soon as the patrols drop off. So, you know, you could run into those people, all right? And then and then you get this, you know, this this is a great opportunity for you to A, make new alliances, gain information, you know, maybe do some impromptu trading of some things you may or may not have, you know, just, just get, you know, uh, some you know, a, a moment, a, 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 you know, a group safe rest place before yeah. you go in. And so, yeah, so the, uh, you know, so when, so you help a group right side of town and, you know, they give you the proper connections you need in the town. And they're also, they're now allies. They may come back with you or, you know, they may do some stuff for you, okay? Or, you know, they can warn you of a great danger that's in town so you don't get blindsided. The mayor's possessed and is rounding up all strangers. Yeah, so it'd be nice to know that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so if you went straight into town and bam, you're suddenly, you know, the, the, the town guard show up around you and says, we're going to arrest you because you're strangers, you know, then you'd be like, hey, you know, railroading uh, or uh, thanks. Uh, just, shouldn't we have had some kind of, a, of an option to, to learn about this? Which is exactly what I'm suggesting you should, you GMs should give to your players. Okay, so, and then, you know, and, and then move on into the rest of your adventure, which is why you went to that town in the first place. Okay, so I'm suggesting that as a as pr possibly a preferred way of doing it if you don't like doing all that wilderness travel, you know. And and I don't know. I, as a GM, I get the feeling sometimes that we GMs like it a lot more than our players do, because uh, you know we we think that you know it's 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 a it's a an opportunity for us to bring out somebody who has nothing to do with the rest of the of, of, of the narrative, but we we want to add that 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 character in or that monster in or that situation in and we bring it out and just drop it and resolve it and whatever and move on. But we we get to have that moment, you know, uh, a, a satisfaction uh, because we worked on it. We thought it was cool and everybody else Basically, poo-poo's this afterwards, mostly, as my experience. <laughs> they were like, yeah. did we really have to do that, Bruce? Did, and I said, well, yeah, because look at all you learned. And they all looking at me like that we couldn't have learned any other way, right? <laughs> so I'm trying to learn and not make those mistakes, too. So when we, a lot, when we do these topics, a lot of times we're trying to say, what have we done wrong in the past? And, and, and how can we warn our players about it and give them better solutions? So we're not we're not just your friends helping us helping you out bring the awesome your game. We're cautionary tales. Just putting that out. There. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and and we're also working on ourselves. So oh, yeah. yeah, we're we're me myself Jonathan. All of us have been on this podcast. We're trying to be better players, game masters, in in some cases game designers, and just through all of this we reflect on what we've done and what not to do in the future so yeah. right and and in the act of trying to teach this to you we find we, we basically find, you know better understand it ourselves so thank oh, yeah. you everybody our listeners for helping us with our own games so but if you feel you must have them okay then Trav, what is what are the purposes of wilderness travel well to help expand your your world, your setting, add flavor to the the setting that your players' characters are in, and it it's it's not a again travelogues. Just oh look, there are tree. It would give a chance. What is the word? Oh yeah, how Z does it? Exposition. Yeah. Oh look! This is the forest where these particular trees grow. 
And this is why the town that you're leaving is, you know, has this reputation because they make, you know, they're wonderful pies that they're world known for from the trees in this forest that you're now passing through. Things like that. Yeah. You know, this is where the demi-humans that you're dealing with in town, this is where they came from. Before they got, you know, you know, uh, townified and came into the town, they used to be living out there in that area. And they've got relatives back in there, but the fact is, is that that's, you know, there's, you know, it's there. You know, if if there was a swamp right outside a town full of bog monsters, okay, you you know, your players might want to know that. But if all you do is deal with things inside the walls of the city, they might never know. Okay, yeah, you'll, <laughs> I'm sure if you're going in one gate of the city, yeah, I'm going out the other way, and you don't let your players know, oh, by the way, there are bog monsters out there, and then they go out there, they're just looking at the GM over the screen, you're like, what? <laughs> you guys rode away before the guy could yell, watch out for the bog monsters, what, don't yell at me, you didn't make your perception check, what? Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, if dragon. that's bad, uh, we're trying to throw it back on the players, yeah. Yeah, right. if, if dragons only nest in high mountains, and. And there's and there's a dragon problem. Shouldn't there be some high mountains nearby? Oh yeah. yeah. So it you know it's it, it's a way to make your world a little bit more coherent. So yeah, it's uh, you know it, it, it's uh, you know I mean you can't go and, and and just lay down a map in front of everybody and say yeah this is where you are and this is where you're going you know and uh, and then they get to see what's in between, possibly ask questions. Okay, so. Uh, yeah, this one big circle where the, the line of the circle is curly queuing, and I put a bunch of circles in it. Yeah, that's the forest. You know, yeah, it's, you can do that, but... The, the yeah. little tree stamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've done that. I, I had a little, little little pad, just stamp, 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 stamp. Oh, okay, like an ink pad. Kind of like, like an ink pad, you. but using, like, you know, erasable. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, wow, all right. Yeah, all like... Right. like um, Oh, I don't know. You know, like like temper paint or something like that. You know? Oh, okay, got it. Just yeah. you know, and then you know, of course, it looks more natural because the you know things aren't aren't always exactly inside of certain lines and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, your forest might there might be a hex that's both you know uh, desert and forest, and you might ask yourself why is there a hex that's both desert and forest? You know, it says well, there's a river that goes along that, and. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, okay, uh, of course, it's a place for grinding, right? You know, even though yeah. we recommend against it, you know, uh, but I know a lot of GMs want their players to have an opportunity to grind, so that's that's why they, they, they send them out there. Okay, uh, and as we talked about in um, our last episodes, which are going to drop before this, about one of the things we are is a bad idea is it's a place for the play for the GMs to make the players lose resources. Yeah, because there are there are some players that will get suspicious and it's like, wait a minute, you're having us go through these things we need. Why don't you Yeah. And again it leads to that whole and I and I know I don't like having it that adversarial kind of relationship between GM and players. I really don't like that in a game the times I was a player and now being having been a pretty much a full-time GM for the past oh at least decade um just yeah it, if, if you're doing that and the players if, if you're trying to whittle it down to like okay have them rely and give them a little tougher time you might have some players who might see this one here Oh, you're going through this wilderness and you're having to use up healing potions because of the occasional bear or, you know, food resources because, you know, your bear stole your food. You had to kill it. You know, there might be some players that might tend to see that as, wait a minute, you're trying to whittle us down. What the, you know, yeah. And and this is completely understandable because if you play D&D &D and you open it from 3.0 on, Okay, they said things like every encounter should use up a quarter of the resources of the players, of the, of the, of the PCs. All right, you know, a quarter of their hit points, a quarter of their spells, a quarter of their other types of resources, so that, you know, by, and by the time you get to the end 
you know, of the day, you know, then you have to decide when you're going to, you know, when are you going to stop and not adventure anymore because you got that, you know, you're 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 down on stuff, uh, and uh, and if if your players are um, uh, if their characters have been six somewhat successful in the past they may be oversupplied you know for what a character of their level should have and and i'm saying the gm may be seen as to say well we'll just give them a slightly harder encounter so they're going to have to use more of their resources and at the same time we're going to have i'm going to force them to not stop because i'll say that there's really bad weather you know, in the air and there might be tornadoes coming and they need to press on to the next shelter, you know, and it's railroading. Railroading for me, and it should be for pretty much all GMs. Okay, if, how, how can I put this? If you have a list of, you know, like the seven deadly sins or the Mount Rushmore of cardinal sins for GM. <laughs> yeah, railroading should be in that. But but there's also you know it's also part of adventure design that you're supposed to do this where you're supposed to you know run them through encounters that use up a quarter of their of their resources. You know each yeah. each so a theor- you wouldn't want to run through four because then they would be really hurting on the fourth one. Okay, yeah. but at least three. You know, the, you know, that's that's like the GM goal is to make sure that they they're really exhausted or they've really exhausted their their possibilities. I, I'm I'm noticing a pattern here, and it probably does not take my wiring for that to do so. You have a thing with threes, three ways to get out of a situation, three encounters to wear them down, but just not. I'm starting to know. I see what you're doing here. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's because I'm from Mars, you know, and they have those wow. three eyes and. <laughs> Dude, you said you wouldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. Correlation <laughs> is not causation. <laughs> oh, right back to my high school sociology class. Okay, thanks a lot. All right. Anyways, um, so yeah, I mean, all right. So that's a bad thing. Okay, if if you're, you know, I mean, the players are expecting you to run them into encounters. Okay, because that's how they gain experience. That's supposed to be the fun of the game. That's where they get those stomp on on monsters of uh, whether they be furry type or humanoid type or robot type you know that's all part of the game okay but you know you you gotta you gotta you gotta check your motivation why why are we why am i doing it okay and and you know and are the players having fun because you know there are players out there that they they will they want to fight to their last hit point okay i and i that's a whole nother thing we've talked about before where play we have there are players who will never surrender who will never run away you know they, they assume that if they're in an encounter they should be able to beat that encounter and they're not we're going to stick it out to the bitter end okay and uh if you're the kind of gm who doesn't realize that then you may end up killing your, your party or really seriously hurting your party uh because you thought you were giving them a fair you know a a, a reasonable encounter and because you thought that they would run away if it got too bad. And in, uh, in, in that's also, again, a version thing. Because in first edition D&D, you had this thing called morale. And when things got really bad, uh, your hirelings would run away. Your henchmen would run away. Okay, you didn't have to run away unless you wanted to. But on the other side, also, you kill half of the opponents you're fighting. There's a really good chance they're all going to turn and run at that point. And you've beaten the encounter without having to kill every single goblin, every single uh, you know uh, 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 robot uh, drone, you know, from the empire. Okay, they're because you know we've seen it. We've seen them. Uh, you know, we've seen those droids running. <laughs> you know, in in uh, I think it was the second uh, second episode two, uh, or or maybe it was in episode one when they're the fight of Naboo, and and then and the droids are like you know giving up, you know <laughs> surrendering and doing stuff. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm just saying is that they had that, but in later editions since the, the first edition. That's all gone away, and I know a lot of GMs. They just like, well, they still got hit points. They're going to fight to the bitter, bitter end. And I 
really want to say, you know, that's let's say that's the whole topic about you know being fair to your NPCs, being fair to your monsters. You know, don't why are you making them all die? You know, unless of course the players have a reputation of killing everybody that they come across, even if they surrender. In which case, yeah, you might as well fight to the bitter death because they're going to kill you anyways, right? Oh yeah. But then there should be people who think they're terrible people for that. And you know, and have role playing consequences. But all right, so um, so what I'm saying is, is that you know, uh, if you are gonna, since you, if you feel you must have this wilderness travel, plan your encounters in such a way that they are um, fair, fair to the players, uh, and fair to the goal that you have, which is getting them to the next town. Okay, not 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 taking away their stuff or not showing them they're not as tough as they think they are, or, but whatever other goals they have. Okay, of course, you know, for a lot of people, in a lot of games, going out in the wilderness is an opportunity to improve their wilderness skills. Yes, um, actually, and it's funny. Um... I have just come across, and it was part of a Kickstarter that, and I don't get to get in many Kickstarters these days. Um, Drop Dead Studios has something called the Spheres of Power system. Now they do power, okay, it's a new magic system. They have Spheres of Might, a new combat system. They came up with something called the Spheres of Guile, where it's, yeah, you have your spellcasters and you got your martial characters, Here's something for all of you skill-based characters, your bards, your rogues, your... And they actually have now made OGL, which means it's adaptable to everything from 3035 D20 Modern Pathfinder First Edition. And they have now specific rules to do things like gather nuts and berries or rare animal parts, which I believe the type of action that's called is a salvage action. So, yeah... There are characters who will want to do that. You're more wilderness. That wilderness. I'm trying to do portmanteaus here. Wilderness-based characters. Your rangers, your druids, your hunters, your barbarians, maybe who want. Yes, I want to make a new necklace of animal bones to show that I am ready to ward off the great spirits of the forest. You know, things like that. Your characters are going to want to do stuff like this. And not only that, but if you have a game in which, you know, the, the, the more exotic, the more powerful magic items or equipment requires certain, uh, you know, uh, certain items that are, not e that are either way too expensive in town or not, e not easily found in town, this is yeah. an opportunity for them to run across them. And if they where, do... Where, where you're there going, is that an owl bear's beak? As you show the scar, where part of your shoulder's missing. Yeah, that was an owl bear's beak. Yeah, it's all on my necklace. Who won that battle? Yeah, um, but no. Um, and I notice this. I've seen. Oh God, what was it? Three, three O or three fives? Unearthed Arcana, because that's where I get to use spell points from. I'm not a fan of the the spell slot system. And they have a list of all the various things about. Oh, if you find this type of animal part from this monster, you can use it for this spell. And yeah, so if you look hard enough to, if you wish to give your players opportunities to do, how can I put this? Nature-based foraging, which I think sums up this subject here. If you look hard enough, you will find rules for your players to be able to do this as part of transiting through a wilderness. When you and, say yeah. using these items and spells, are you talking about metamagic, or are you just saying that they're just spell components that they would normally use? Uh, even spell components that you can use instead of the ones listed. I'm, I'm going to use an arbitrary example here, and I don't have Unearthed Arcana up in front of me. I do know that invisibility, and I don't know why I know this particular minutiae, the spell component for the typical, what is it, third level wizard spell invisibility is an eyelash wrapped in a, in a small piece of gum Arabic. Well, let's say you find 
a creature out in the wilderness that you beat because, you know, it's trying to steal your food. And you kill it. And you could have your people make an, a knowledge arcana roll and go, you know what? The eyeball from that creature who, you know, can sneak around invisibly. That could be used as a suitable material component for an invisibility spell. Right. Displacer beast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Or you can use that for like the blur spell or whatever. Something key to the spell. But yeah, your player, if you, and, and trust me, GMs, you just got to look. Contact me via this podcast. And I might even, you know, send you the right direction. Um, but yeah, you could have various lists of, oh, wait a minute. We just beat this monster who lives here in these, in this uh, wintry forest. Oh, yeah, if I harvest the parts, give them a survival check or whatever to, you know, skin it correctly. Oh, you now have, you know, two eyes. Well, your next two invisibility spells, you can use them without having to worry about going to the next town to get spell components. There you go. Yeah, and um, nuts and berries, of course, that's, you know, or or, or even straight-up herbalism. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in this forest where I found this incredibly potent herb to use for my healing poultices, you know. Things like that, yeah. You know, I, I have enough for three potions, and each one will do an extra point of dan- uh, of healing or an extra dot, uh, even an extra die of healing. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, because you're going to run out. So, oh, yeah. it, it, I mean, you know, if this is something you're literally coming across randomly, then you can you can run out of that thing, and it's okay to give it to them. Okay, I um, uh, in 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 one of my early D and D campaigns it was actually three O. Um, yeah. They uh, because they had all these metabashic feats. I actually ran. They they were out and they they uh, ran into some people off the the coast and they did a favor for them and they presented them with a bag of black pearls, and they're all like, "Oh, black pearls! They look kind of cool. I mean, not nice for jewelry, you know." And they brought them back to town and they, and they showed it to somebody and he says, "You don't know what black pearls are good for, huh?" You know, and the guy's like, "Well, let me take them off your hands for a hundred gold piece each." No, no, no. You know, you know, we know you're lying to us. What? What's the truth? You know, and he says they can be used to replace any man at meta magic feat, one meta magic oh. feat, without any cost in levels. So that means oh. that you know your your you know, the spell you normally you could do an extent, or you can do it like you know maximize, or oh, you can okay. do yeah yeah yeah. You know, all those things that were meta magic feats back in three O could be done by crushing, you know, this black pearl and adding it to the spell components that you're using to cast that that spell. And it has that, you know, when you cast a spell, it has that effect. You just simply declare it as part of the spell casting. Okay, and they're all like, Wow, this is the greatest thing ever, you know. Guess how many of those of those black pearls they ever used? Probably one. Zero. Oh, <laughs> it was so good they refused to. They were waiting for the optimum time to the use right them. Right moment. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. they forgot they had them because now it was, it was it had migrated to like the back. You know the, the character. You know stuff in their backpack, and they forgot they had it. So I was like, you know, and I didn't tell them about it because you know I was not as helpful as I am now. Yeah. Since <laughs> I gave them to you, you can't remember. It's not my problem. So, uh, but also, if you do happen to run across something, as you talk, like the owlbear beak, or um, let's say um, uh, the the back fin on a boulette, okay. According to the to the description in the first edition, you you could take that and take it to a uh, uh, a metal worker or whatever, and they could they would fashion it into a shield, and it would be the equivalent. It would give you a, a basically a, a plus a plus one shield. Oh, okay. Okay. So you can literally get a magic item off of a part. And so you might not have thought about having a shield. Maybe you're a character who didn't, you know, was thinking about, you know, uh, I need to keep my hands free or whatever like that. But then all of a sudden you're like, and, and, or let's say you're a druid and, and it's like, I can't have any metal shields. So all I can have is a wooden shield and they're almost never magical. But hey, a bullet is, that's not a magic, that's not metal. Yeah. So I could go and get this made, and now I can have a plus one shield, you know, plus two to my armor class, you know, and it's perfectly yeah. legal for me as a druid to have it. 
you know, nobody ever thinks about those kind of things, you know, and and uh, and that's one of the things I thought was cool about finding stuff out in the wilderness. And of course, they pass that on to the MMORPGs, where let's say you're out in the wilderness, and I'll use again for I believe EverQuest, the town is Freeport, and you're going from Freeport to one of the other settlements. I forget they what they are. It's Last time I played any MMORPG was 08, folks, so we're talking 15 years. Um, you would get all these animal parts from killing. It's like, oh, yeah, put them in my inventory. Because you knew that if you have, oh, five of this part, three of this part, and two of these parts, and a reagent, oh, you could make yourself a halfway decent magic item at the next town. Just give it to the shopkeep there, and he hands it right back to you. Yeah, things like that. They passed that over directly in the MMORPGs. I remember there were, back in the day, pages, web pages and web pages of, oh, this is how, you know, like, basically they were cheat sheets, folks. And they later put them into the EverQuest and Warcraft uh, OGO conversions, where, oh, yeah, if you have three of this part, two of this part, excuse me, and a reagent. Yeah, you can get yourself, you know, this leg grieve or this gauntlet or, you know, a breastplate if it's from a dragon. And yeah, so they kind of imported that over into the MMORPGs, I noticed. And the, the ones that I played were EverQuest and WoW, D&D Online, Stormreach, City of Heroes, but they didn't do that all that much. But I noticed a trend that picking up scraps from your defeated animal foes was often a recipe for you to give yourself relatively decent equipment without, oh yeah, and I have all this money, I'm going to the town and buy that plus five breastplate that'll give like plus three to my strength, plus five to my con, and an extra 50 hit points. Well, you know, I put in the work over here, and I have one that gives me a plus one strength, plus one con, and 25 hit points. It's better than nothing, and I save myself some gold pieces. So, yeah, I noticed that in my time being an MMORPG player that they ported that apparently from those older games to try to, I guess, to keep up the the flavor of those old games in a way to try to, you know, um, verisimilitude. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, so... My favorite it, word. <laughs> yeah, oh, 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 Goth Bunny hates that word when I try to use it, and it's just a game, you know. Yeah, but um, no, wilderness travel is a really good way for your characters that have the skills in foraging, survival, um, naturalism in some way, shape, or form. They can really, if you really, you know, put them through their paces, they can get some stuff that's useful as hell for your, you and your party later. And it gives them, it gives them a chance. Uh, what, what's your term, Bruce? It gives them their spotlight time. You know, in, in, in like games like D&D, okay, Almost all your encounters are military combat, right? And yeah. so it's it comes down to how, how you know what's your attack your, your attack bonus, you know what's your what are the spell attack spells or defense spells you have available? All your other skills are completely unimportant. Ignored, yeah, in, they're ignored. Yeah. And if you don't ever do anything but those those moments, then yeah, it's, it's you might you know it's like the druid's like I don't know why I'm here. You know, and the rangers like, yeah, what's the point of having a favorite animal if I'm never where the favorite animal is <laughs> or favorite enemy uh, and so forth. You know, just, it, it, you know, where, why do I care? Why does the GM care so much about my backstory when all we're going to do is go from one combat set piece to another combat set piece? And again, I think that's the GM not realizing if he's running a straight hack and slash campaign and you have a character who's a forager, or you have a character, oh, I'm a diplomat, and I wish to talk my way through, and all I'm doing is pulling my sword. You're kind of not reading your audience, as it were. If you're going to have a predominance of non-martial characters, and you put them through a martial campaign, all we've been doing is fighting. I'm a, I'm a courtier. You know, I just learned fencing as part of the, the courtly arts, and that's the only thing that's kept me alive all this time. That's a GM not really reading his audience, as it were. And just that that that's the mark of a good GM to, is to realize, okay, yeah, I got a barbarian, a fighter, and a ranger, and then I have a druid and a bard. 
okay, I might want to put in some nature adventures and I might want to put in some adventures where there's courtliness, there's intrigue, there's, you know, you're at least you're 50% dodging. of that party was, you know, was nature, at least nature aware. Oh yeah. Then putting them in all urban adventures, you're, you're kind of wasting yeah. the character's true potential. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have to put, you know, and, and even that, you know, for example, you know, the, one of the the best benefits of being a knight in you know in, in days of yore, okay, was the fact that as a knight, you could demand shelter for you yeah. and your entourage at any you know any per landowner's place that was along the way, and uh, and and sometimes you had to have certain you know uh, basically invitations of the rulers of the lands you were traveling through, but mostly it was like you know you you know as a noble you had a right to demand it. And, uh, and that's, that's, you know, that's a good thing. A, it saves you tons of money on going to inns. Okay. Assuming of course that you don't want to have the inn experience. You also usually don't get robbed. You don't get robbed as much because you're not having the inn experience. It's a, it's a safer place to go to a lot of times. You know, you're not going to get robbed in a peasant's house because this is a night. I dare not touch his possessions. I am not worthy to try to take from him the jewel on his belt that holds the scabbard of his mighty sword. I'm just not worthy, you know, yeah. Not only that, but not only would, he, not only would I be killed, but my entire family would be killed, and all of their relations would be killed. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to cause, you know, lineal genocide because I got cocky and wanted to see, have that gem, yeah. No. Right, right, yeah, so... Uh, but and also, you know, if you're, um, you know, if you talk to the lord, you know, of the of the area, you're probably going to get better info intel than if you're there at an inn, basically saying, "Hey, have you heard any strange things happening out in the woods?" Well, I don't know. From an inn, I mean, yeah, a noble wouldn't usually stay in an inn. They would try to get better accommodations, but just also. I don't know the 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 common folk. If you're a noble and you're talking among the common folk, they would have a better knowledge of what's going because a lot of nobles, you know, they only go, "Oh yes, I'm going out just outside the city for the fox hunt." No, these common folk are out there in the wilderness having to, excuse me, deal with it every day. I would think that the noble getting at the inn and talking with the common folk would give them better information because they're the ones out there with their hands in the dirt, so to speak. I would just, I would just think that, I mean, if you're sitting there and you're talking to, yes, I'm talking to Lord Fauntleroy over there and yeah, he's been out in the forest for his fox hunt. Yeah. He doesn't leave more than a mile from the walls. The will that's not really wilderness. You're still just out in the wooded area outside the home, basically. Okay, well, yeah, I, I'm I, not. I, I'm not saying yeah. you're wrong. It's just a different point of view. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it just, I, I, I would think that the the highfalutin noble would do well to. And what is the term? Is it hoi polloi? Yes. The common fo hoi polloi. You know, the high tootin noble might you know want to slum a little and talk with the hoi polloi because they have better information than he normally wouldn't get from his network of people. It's that whole friends in low places thing, so to speak. Yeah. I was thinking that, you know, since the, the Lord has, like, patrols and soldiers and things like that, he's getting reports back from his men, and I'm assuming that his men are not lying to him. Okay, yeah. So, you know, and therefore, you know, while the person who's running the inn, because they want people to keep stopping at the inn, they don't want to suppress travel on the road, which keeps their doors open, they might not necessarily tell you about all the biggest dangers that might be out there. You know, they just yeah yeah. So, I'm just saying both both can be true, and that's and that's a fun thing, you know, where you can be you could be lied to equally from the high and the low, <laughs> or oh, be what? told the truth from the high and the low. And you're like, well, you know, says how do you know all these things? I thought the Lord, you know, as you said, you know, he, you know, uh, oh, a uh, Lord so and so just comes out for his fox hunts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Mean, yeah. Meanwhile, you got the farmers out there who have to deal with things coming into their fields every so often. Yeah, yeah. those those stinking ankheads who just seem to just like go after everybody's cabbages. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then, see, now, you're perfect. I'm perfectly fine with you disagreeing with me about this. Okay? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I'm, what I'm about to say uh, is that, you know, a lot of reasons to have these kinds of wilderness travel is to give the players a sense of the time passing. Okay. You're basically grounding the time passing in events that occurred during the trip. Um, you know, if you said, okay, you know, we're traveling from here to there, and then the next town, and, and you get to the third town, and you says, oh, and it's wintertime. And they're all like, wintertime? You know, it was summer when we left. Yeah. Why is, what happens is fall? And they said, oh, well, that was the last town back. Okay, you, you know, you, uh, by the time you, you know, and, and they're like, they, they don't have any sense of time passing. And I see this happening especially a lot with, like, space travel games. Where, you know, uh, years may be going by. And you have no sense that that's happened. Because, you know, you get into your ship, you jump into hyperspace, you see the pretty designs, you know, and then they, they and then you're someplace else, Okay. Richard, in his FTL 2448 game, he has all these side panel information about things that happened on the ship as they were traveling through war, uh, um, not jump space, um, phase space. Yeah. Through space oh, yeah, space. the Ben Bells and Quag stories. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. But I'm, I'm just telling you that when I ran that, nobody was interested in doing it. They were like, okay, we're jumping. Okay, we arrived, right? He says, Yeah. And so we'd go on to the next thing, but they never had any idea that, like, a month had just gone by. Yeah, yeah. See, that, I when I did run the FTL game where I put it on a, oh, it was an Akatee and Marzotto lab world, and it was basically a fantasy world, but it was all science and magic. And so I said, oh, no, it's a month's time. Which, and I would explain to my players, you know, it's like, okay, in that time, you would have had gotten a time to know each other. You would have, you know, learned about your ship and what little ticks it has. And I, I would at least go through and explain the, and if without, if, if I didn't role play them out, at least explain, okay, in this time, you would have learned this where it'll come to, you know, benefit you later. Yeah. Remember your month in uh, phase space? Yeah. It's when you learn this. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. But it is important to let them know that keep your time straight. Just if, if it's like he just said, summer to fall or summer to fall to winter and all of that. And wait a minute, hold it. That or oh, fall was in the town before. Wait a minute. So it went from fall to summer to winter. What? Yeah. It, it's just that, you know, when the weather changed from summer to fall, it wasn't that much of a change, you know. I mean, it, 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 the temperature didn't suddenly drop. You might have started wearing cloaks at night, you know, when you went out, to, you know, to, on your various things. But it wasn't a big deal, you yeah. know. Uh, but when winter came, then it was, a, then then now we're talking about having to, you know, get winter wear and, 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 and caravans have stopped traveling, you know, across the wildernesses because of, you know, the, the various things that are a problem out there during yeah. that period of time, you know, wolves are getting hungry. <laughs> oh yeah. So anyway, uh, so, uh, and, and, and like I said, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this doesn't matter. Okay. You know, I'm, uh, you know, maybe it's okay that they they don't know that this time has gone by. You know, uh, in my first edition D and D game, I used to tell them that in between each adventure, at least a year will go by, possibly more. Oh, and they were and they were like, "Why?" You know, and I said, "Because most of you guys at the end of an adventure will have gone up a level, at least one level." Okay, and as you get to higher levels, you have to spend a week for every level you were prior to the level that you were going to. Okay, because you're paying that fifteen hundred gold pieces per week per level, so you're basically training for that amount uh, of time. Okay, got it. So yeah. you're spending. First of all, you have to find. You know, you, you may have to find. Uh, uh, you might have to find a new lord. I mean, a, a new trainer because maybe the one you had. You, you learned everything you could from him. You, you know, must move on and find a new master grasp. Find a better one, yeah. And, yeah. It, and this happens multiple times as you go up levels in in, in, in like the AD and the game. So that was one reason. Second reason was because, you know, you might want to spend time with your family. You know, you might want to, uh, 
uh, go and buy and sell some of these magic items that you have. That you know, you, you don't just walk into town and just drop, you know, um, you know, a, a, a kingdom's worth of magic items and says, "Okay, give me, give me the market, you know, give me the book value for these things." And they're like, uh, I, I can only buy two of these things. I want money after that, and I'm only going to give you, you know, a quarter of the price, you know. But if you take the time to sell it, yeah. You know, so you okay. How, how can I put this in the Pathfinder terms? That year you gave them in between each level was for them to do what they call in Pathfinder downtime events. Where, oh, I'm planning my next uh, raid into, oh, I heard about this dungeon off to the north. Well, I'm going to go to the library and get everything I can on this dungeon. All the myth and legend and lore and the history. Oh, I have a family to go to. Fine. I'm going to spend time with the wife and the youngins and get to know my children more and see how they've grown. And yeah, it's that year is for downtime events. Oh, I have I bought an inn with the money I got from my last adventure. I'm going to run my inn for a while. You know, at the most, I got to stop a bar fight. You know, yeah, things like that. And that's good that you put that in there because it would help in some way to develop the characters' backstories. Like, oh yeah, you know, I managed to do this and um, yeah, you, okay, you have a couple of uh, levels in entrepreneur now because you're running it in. Oh, so when you talk to this merchant, well, you know what this merchant is talking about and you might be able to get in good with them because you're a innkeeper yourself in your off time. Yeah, so. Member that, of the you, guild. Yeah, though that time off gives them the chance to if the system would have allowed it and i doubt first edition really did i don't remember the skills being all that uh intricate. No, there, there were secondary skills oh yeah 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 well then the secondary skills might come back to help you later against another npc you know to try to you know get an in as it were yeah and and you and you basically talked about the third reason that i did uh which was I said, is that at the end of the year, you will have amassed the information you need in order to go on your next adventure. Because it's not like someone just runs in and slaps down a, a, a tattered map in front of you and says, he says, you know, there's, you know, the king kingdom is being attacked by, you know, uh, giants and you need to go and, and solve that. You know, I had, I had done that a couple of times, but that was only when they were much higher in level. You know where the kingdom knew who they were, you know, but uh, but other things like going into crypts, going on, you know, a lot of lost, you know, dungeon kind of things. They had to find that information. They had to you know spend time in inns, as you mentioned. They had to go to sages. You know, they had to follow up on rumors and legends and stuff. There, and there was something okay, and you know, I used the Second World Source Book. I helped incorporate some of it into Bureau Thirteen D Twenty. They had this um, organization, as it were, called Tempest Argon. And it was not so much a magical college. It was, okay, all of us are explorers, magic using or non-magic using. And their, their basic credo was, okay, if you just go into a dungeon and start exploring, you deserve to die. Go in, go find out about this place go to the local libraries and sages and wherewithal and research the hell out of this place so you're not going in blind. Yeah. That well, that's, is always that, a good That's thing one of the reasons do. I did that because when I was playing right before I started my first campaign, that's exactly what we did. The, you know, the GM of the week had his dungeon ready and we took our highest level characters and we didn't know anything about each other. We just all show up at the door and say, hey, Go into the dungeon? Yeah, well, let's form a party and do it together. And we would do that. <laughs> and we had no idea what was in there, what we were facing. Yeah. All we knew was is that, you know, supposedly we had the chutzpah and the and the ability to do so because that was the GM's job, was to make sure we didn't have a an obvious TPK. But, uh, you know, that's also uh, 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 where my first-level character... Uh, ran into an ancient red dragon. I don't even need to know. How, I'm not going to be sarcastic. Hey, how'd that end up for you? No, I know how that ended up for you. <laughs> Actually, it, it ended up pretty well. 
uh, because by the time we got, because first of all, my character in that dungeon got himself plus plus three split mail and a plus three shield, giving me an armor class of negative six. Okay. My first level character. Okay. (laughs) The uh, also we ran, we got a whole bunch of uh, potions, and uh, uh, from various things that happened, and we were supposed to get this artifact axe, you know, that the dragon was 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 controlling it. Okay, and so uh, uh, we uh, so when we saw the dragon, we said, okay, what's going to happen here? And and we said, look. He says, you know, we've got X number of potions of heroism, which will raise us temporarily up to third level so we won't turn and flee in front of the dragon. Because first edition dragons, they had this aura that would cause anybody below a certain level just to run away. Yeah, it's like the frightful presence in OGL dragons now. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. You can listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on DementiaRadio.org. Also, the Professor and I are each now on Twitch. For me, it's twitch.tv slash trav31369, Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, with campaign notes. The Professor is at twitch.tv slash Professor Pixie. Please check her page for time and date.